0: church. That was the last place that I wanted to be that day. It just so happened I wound up in there. I mean, I sat so far up that I could have got a nosebleed. But you know what? As far away from the altar and as far away from the preaching and all that that I was, God was still right there with me. And boy, that preacher, he started preaching salvation. That choir started singing, and man, I could just feel him all over me. I just remember feeling God reach his arms around me and say, hey, you know, this is what it's really all about. Why don't you just go ahead and give your life to me and serve me? And I was so thankful for that day. If you were here for the very first time, and we, like I've already said, we, you are our honored guest, and we are so glad to have you. But if you filled out that prayer request card, could you just hold that up real high for us this morning? Could y'all hold it up real high. We got one over here. We got one over here on the right. Guys, let's give our first time attenders a hand for being with us this morning. Amen. Preacher Senior says, we're going to treat you so many ways, you're bound to like one of them. It's good to have you all with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and let's stand. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah chapter number 12. Isaiah chapter number 12. If you won't be standing long, i only got six verses. We'll we'll fly through those. I know you've stood a lot today. Isaiah chapter number 12 and verse number 1. The Bible says, and in that day... Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. We'll go back up to verse number 3, and I'd like for you all to read that aloud with me. The Bible says in verse 3, Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get to share your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to live in a country where your word is prevalent. It's here. It's, it's anywhere we go. If we take the time to pour it into us, you will pour it back out of us. And God, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for being in a place where men and women have died so that we could come and to be able to have services like this one, so that we could worship you in spirit and truth. God, I thank you so much for that. Lord, we are a privileged, privileged people this morning. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would fill me up, Lord, and that you would just pour your word out. God, that you would do the preaching. Lord, I'm just a vessel. God, you're the potter, I'm the clay. And I pray that this morning that we would get glory, or that you would get glory and honor out of everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. The wells of salvation. I want to share just a, a simple thought, a simple message this morning on drawing from the wells of salvation. Drawing from the wells of salvation. As I began to study for this message and I began to get ready and really study out what wells were in the Bible and where their placement was, I found some interesting characteristics of a well. The first thing that I began to notice was the places that they, where they would go and they would dig these wells. Sometimes they would dig the wells right in the middle of a city. Right in the middle of the city. They would, or they would dig the well, the well and then they would build the city all around it. And then sometimes you would see that the well was on the outside of the city. The well would be out there on the outside, just like with the, uh, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, and he told her everything about herself, and she, he, she said, I don't have a husband. He said, hey, you've had five, and all, you know the story. That well was on the outside of the city. We know that because Jesus had sent the disciples back to the inside of the city to get food. So that well was on the outside of the city. Sometimes, in bigger cities where they would have municipal buildings or different types of courthouses, things like that, they would actually build a well right in the middle of that courthouse. And you would go into a building, and once you got into a building, the well would be in there. And then the fourth place that we find wells a lot in the Bible is just out in the middle of the desert. How many of you know that sometimes this well can be a desert? Boy, it gets dry sometimes, doesn't it? It gets rough and it gets hard and it seems like you just get dirt tossed in your face. And God put a desert in the middle of the wilderness. And they would take large stones and they would cover up these, they would cover up these wells for, for two purposes. One, so that they'd be able to find them. And that for another purpose, so that they wouldn't get filled up with all the sand and all the junk that was in the middle of the desert. Another thing that I found out about these wells was that they were very deep a lot of times. A lot of times they would dig down really really deep to get to the water because the w- the wells were fed by one or two ways. Either they were fed by rainwater or they would have to dig down deep enough until they hit a well spring. And a well spring is an underground spring that would flow and it would begin to fill up this well. Another thing that I found out about wells was that it wasn't as easy as it looks to draw water from a well. How many of you have ever watched Bonanza and they're out there and they're pumping on the thing and they're getting some well? It wasn't all that easy. Or even old movies that that, that depict an older generation. Even they got the the little house with the bucket on it and then they just crank it down in there and the bucket and they crank it back up. It wasn't that easy. There was a lot of work that went in to getting water out of a well. It was tough. Also, we find that these wells, a lot of times they would have names. They would have names. Abraham dug many wells, many wells. And they were the wells of Abraham. But each individual well, he would name those wells. And then we find out that a lot of times war and strife and battles were caused because of these wells. People trying to take these wells. And they would try and they would come in and they would try to run these people off because they saw over here that these people are being blessed. When when Abraham was there and he had all these wells and he he began to be blessed and he had cattle and he had had servants and he had money and riches, he had all this stuff. And they're like, man, we need to go over there and take his stuff. And so wars would be caused over this. And they would go out and they would try to steal the wells. Well, if they couldn't steal them, they would sit there, if they couldn't take them, they would come in, they would sneak in at night and sometimes they would fill them up with dirt. And they would just fill them up so that they couldn't use those wells anymore. And I got to thinking, Lord, what was the big deal? What, what was all this commotion over these wells? Couldn't they just go and dig another well? It wasn't about having a well. It wasn't about taking a well. It wasn't about filling up a well. It was all about what was in the well. It was all about what was in the well. What was in the well? There was water. Boy, in the middle of the desert, you need Water. You need substance. You need something to survive. You could not survive without a well. And they knew that if they took these wells, that they, would be, that they would be more plenteous. Or if they filled them in, then they could kill their enemy. So that was the big deal about the wells, was what was in the well. The Bible says, Therefore with joy shall we draw water from the wells of salvation. The wells of salvation. Just like Abraham had all his wells. These are Abraham's wells, and he named them. I want to name three wells this morning. I want to name three wells that we need to be drawing out of and let you see. Them. There's probably ten, there's probably twelve. And these wells that I'm going to show you this morning, they're not in any particular order, not any of them more important than the other one, or they may, but as the way I'm putting them out it's not that way. But they're just, these are just wells that are important to our life that we need to draw out of to get the most out of our Christian life. How many of you want to get the most out of your salvation? What, what did Jesus say? He said, that I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He wants us to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, how many of you as a Christian can tell me this, that you have had days in your Christian walk that were not joy unspeakable and full of glory? But I want to make the most out of my Christian walk. So in order to do that, we're going to have to draw from these wells. And the first well that I want you to look at is the well of worship, the well of worship. Isaiah twelve four says, and in that day shall you say, praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Verse five, sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things; this is known in all the earth. Verse six, cry out and cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for, the, for great is the Holy One of Israel. In the midst of thee. The well of worship. We need to be drawing from the well of worship. What does worship mean? Worship means worth-ship. So what is it that whenever, what are we doing when we worship? We are telling God how much he is worth to us. How many of you believe that God is worth a whole lot to you? Man, he's worth a whole lot to me too. He's done more for me than I can begin to describe. He's done more for me than it. we would be here all day if I just talked about the blessings that God had poured out on me. Worship. How much is He worth to you? Let me ask you this question. And this is not to step on anybody's toes. This is not to make anybody angry or to call anybody out. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you shown God this morning how much He's worth to you? When we were singing... Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Did that sink in real good and you told God how much he is worth to you? Man, he's worth a lot to me. And when we start talking about because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Man, I live that every day. I, I know where I would be if it wasn't for Jesus. I would, be, I would either be in jail or in hell. Because, man, when he came and found me where I was at, I was in a rough spot. And he came in he rescued me. And because he lives... I can face my tomorrow. And whenever I go through days like that, man, I, want, I want to be able to praise Him, even in those hard days. The thing about worship is, is we're supposed to praise Him and we're supposed to worship Him even when it's not good. First thing that I want you to see about the well of worship is the prerequisite, prerequisite of worship. You know, you won't find a single verse anywhere in your Bible that says, Hey, when everything is going your way, praise Him. When, when you've got money in the bank and the checkbook looks good, praise him. You won't find that? You won't find one that says, "Hey, when your kids are all acting like they're supposed to, praise him." It's not there. But the Bible does say a few things about praise. As a matter of fact, it says a lot about praise. There's hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about praise and when to pray and praise and how to praise. Psalms 33:1 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. That just means, comely just means it's the thing to do. It's what you're supposed to do. The prerequisite to worship, I've got a newsflash. Worship is a part of the job description. If you're saved by the grace of God, it's a part of our job to worship Him. You say, Brother Scott, I don't always feel like worshiping. I don't always feel like worshiping, but it's a part of my job. And that's what I'm going to do, because he has saved me. If he didn't do anything else for me, he's worth my worship. It's part of the job description. It's a command that he has given us to worship him. 106, or Psalms 106. one. Praise you, the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever verse or Psalms 151 says praise ye the Lord praise God in his sanctuary praise him in the firmament of his power and Psalms 150 verse 6 is probably one of the most famous psalm verses in the entire bible and it says this let everything that hath breath praise the Lord praise ye the Lord the prerequisite to worship everybody do this You were supposed to praise the Lord this morning. Everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Not just a prerequisite for worship. It is a part of the job description as a Christian. But the perception of worship. The perception of worship. A lot of times we think that we only worship when we're here. That Sunday is my day of worship. What? No. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what's in you, and it's to pour out of you. But we have a prerequisite of worship, and I think it's so funny how different denominations have their idea of what they think worship is supposed to be. Different denominations, you, you go to different churches all throughout this county and worship is going to be different in most everyone that you go to. Presbyterian church worship. Brother Will knows about this one. That's Presbyterian worship right there. you did y'all miss? All right, wait, I missed I forgot something. <laughs> if you're Presbyterian, I'm sorry. <laughs> Baptist worship looks a lot like this, or sometimes it's just closing eyes. That's Baptist worship right here. And then, then you got the the non-denominational worship. This is one of my favorite ones. You got the that's the guy on the front row. <laughs> Isn't it so funny? how what we have in our mind, what our ideas of worship are? How worship is supposed to be this, or worship is supposed to be that, and it's, oh, it's supposed to be reverent, or it's supposed to be loud, or we're supposed to be doing this. Or... The Bible says a few things about worship, and it gives us a few examples. And it, as a matter of fact, it gives us a few directions in our worship. One of the things that it says for us to do is to lift our hands. You know why people don't worship? You know why people won't raise their hand in church, Brother A.D.? Because they're afraid somebody's going to look at them. You know how I know that? Because I used to be that person. I was like, I can't do that. everybody going to look at me? I put my hands on Everybody going to be looking at me? And then, and then once you do do it, Miss Tina attested this. Once you do do it, somebody says something about it. Oh, man, he was just worshiping. Did you see him up there? And then you're like, oh, no, they was watching me? Miss <laughs> Tina was up here on the praise team one day, and boy, it, it got on her, and she just, oh, man, she's just singing, she's going to... And, then, and then somebody came up to her out there and said, like, I just got so much out of watching you worship. She was like, oh, they was watching me worship. She hadn't lifted her hands since. No, I'm just I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I could pick on them because Joe and Tina, are, we're we're pretty tight. So. Mm-hmm. Hey, at least I added Joe in the conversation that time. (laughs) One day I was up here preaching, and we had all went to the beach. Our families went to the beach together, and this is a commercial. I'm running this rabbit. I'm going to kill it. But (laughs) our families had went to the beach together, and me and Tina are both on staff. So whenever we came back, I was like, me and Tina just got back from the beach. And, I mean, we just had a big time, but we missed church. And it just made it sound like it was just me and Tina at the beach. And I I didn't even catch it. I never missed a beat. I just kept going. Then they come up to me afterwards, like, Scott. You said that we was at the beach. (laughs) Anyway, moving right along. The perception. The perception of worship. What we think about worship. But we do know this that in 2 Chronicles, and we also know that during the triumphant entry when Jesus came in on the cult, the Bible says that they were praising him and they cried out with a loud voice. Sometimes I'm the loud voice worship. Every once in a while, I don't care if I'm in the middle of the song. I, when I was singing in the choir, we'd be in the middle of the song, and I, if, if I wouldn't have nothing to do with the it. I'd just be it be getting on me, and all of a sudden, I just have to holler out "Glory," or I just have to holler out "Hallelujah." I'm sometimes I'm the cried out with the loud voice worship, and then. The Bible also tells us in Psalms very, very many times, shout unto the Lord. Clap your hands to the Lord. Show Him on the outside what you're feeling on the inside or what those verses mean. You say, Brother Scott, sometimes... I I worship, but but you can't tell it a lot of times because, you know, I I worship. I'm different. I I don't do that. I, I mean, I worship a little different. That's not biblical. When you show me a verse, when you show me a verse that says, Worship Him by sitting there and making no noise and saying nothing and watching. Then we'll have a conversation. But the Bible says to praise Him, to lift your hands to Him. And I ain't beating up on nobody. I ain't beating up on nobody. I'm trying to tell you this, that when you do throw them hands up, boys, it, it gets good. It just does. I can't explain it. Well, I can too explain it. It's biblical and you throw, you throw your hands up and you're meeting with God and you're telling him how much you love him and then he just reaches down there and he hugs you back I told this story a while back and it's funny I'm telling it because Justin's here again and he was here last time I told it and he's kind of in it but <laughs> we uh I have I have this habit of having church in my truck anybody else have that habit? Just, just have church wherever you go. I mean, you're gonna have it in your truck or in your car or where. Man, I do. And one day I was coming down 157. And I was about to be coming up to the intersection. Or I'm sorry, I was coming Yeah, I was coming down 157. I was gonna come up to uh, 31 there. But I was still down at the bottom of the hill over there where the stockyard is. And I'm coming up past the stockyard, and I'm listening to this CD. And the CD kind of floated around the church for a little bit. Some, several people had it, and we were burning it and trading it out, and everybody. Was, and it was a CD of this little uh, it was this family, and it was a bluegrass CD, and it was a family called the Dixons. and it's the brothers and sisters and stuff, and they do instruments and all that, and they're all like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, just a young group. And I was driving out through there somewhere around the Stockyard, and all of a sudden it got to that part on that song on number four on the CD. it says, "I love the Lord." He heard my cry, and he lifted me way up high and set my feet upon the mountaintop. Well, just think of it. The Lord and King, the creator of everything, loves me with a love that won't stop. Boy, I'm getting chill right now. And he got on me, Miss Patty, and all of a sudden I'm squalling. And I'm just, I mean, I've got snot and tears and everything running down my face. And I'm swerving all off the road. I can't see where I'm going. I'm heading up to the top of this hill. And I'm probably going like 90 by this point. Because, I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is about worshiping. You've got to be careful worshiping in your car because you'll speed. Have you noticed that? And, 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 so you, and I don't know if that will get you out of a ticket. But I just, if they pull you, I'm sorry. You need to hear this. <laughs> you know, I'm, but, and I mean, I was having a, I was having a big time. Well, somewhere between the stockyard and the red light, I went into full-fledged preaching mode. I mean, I was going to town. I mean, I had one hand on the steering wheel and the other one was just flailing. I mean, I was just, and I was, I was doing the Sammy Allen, if y'all, y'all don't know who that is, but he was, sure. Anyway, anyway he <laughs> went. You know who that is, don't you? Anyway, and I mean, I was just, I was having a big time, and I was preaching. I was going to town. I pull up to the light, and I look around, and there's people all around. I didn't even care. I just kept going. I was preaching, and man, I just knew my glove box was going to get saved. I was just waiting on it to happen, and and it got so good in my truck that I didn't care that I looked like a Fool, and I was singing, and I was crying, and I was preaching, and I was snotting, and I was tearing, and all this stuff was going on, and then all of a sudden I hear, and I look up, and it was Justin driving across in front of me. He was waving, and he looked, and I said, oh, and what could I do? I was caught. So you know what I did? I just kept preaching, you know? I just, wasn't going to mess up the invitation. I mean, it was just... Uh, we were having, I mean, I was just having such a big, some of the, I told them in the first service, some of the best preaching that I do is in my truck. And I'm the only one that gets to hear it. So, It's a blessing to me, though, I reckon. A couple weeks later, I don't know where we was at. I think we might have been at Mama's. And uh, we, was, we was over there, and Justin walks up to me and said, I saw you at the intersection the other day. I said, Yeah, I know you did, but it was too late for me to stop, so I just kept on going. He, I said, I was having a time. I was having church in my truck. Justin said, I thought you were going crazy. <laughs> Sometimes you worship, people going to think you're crazy. They will. They, they, they think you've done, lost your mind. Why are you doing throwing your hands up in the air like that? What are you doing shouting, crying, and singing, and all that stuff? Like that? It's because I love him. Because I want to show him how much he's worth to me. And he's worth so much to me, I don't care what Justin thinks. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. I mean, it it, it doesn't affect me anymore. I used to let that affect me, what people thought about that might see me worship. I got past that. And I'm going to come to church, I'm going to have a big time, and I'm going to show him how much he's worth to me. Amen? I went too long on that one, so I'm going to fly through these. All right. The well of worship is the first one that we need to draw out of. And then the next one that we need to draw out of is the well of fellowship. John 1.1. That which was from the beginning, or First John 1, one. I'm sorry. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And then it says, For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto eternal life, which was with the Father that we have manifest unto us. Now here's the key verses in here. It says, That which we have seen, and heard, and declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. The well of fellowship. Joy comes from the well of fellowship. If we're going to have joy, we're going to have to draw from these wells. First the well of worship and then the well of fellowship. The well that you say, Oh, here he goes, life groups. Heard this right before, life groups, life groups. Yes, life groups. He's just trying to sell life groups to us again. Yes, I am trying to sell life groups to you. Why? Because life groups are where it is at. Fellowship, relationships are built in life groups. I told him in the first service, we are not a church that has life groups. We're not a church that just simply has life groups. We're a church of life groups. It's in our makeup. It's in our DNA. It is who we are. We are a life group church. And that is how we that is how we minister to people. That's how we care to people. That's how we know when your mama's sick. D- Amen. That's how that's how we know when you need prayer. That's how we and the coolest thing about life groups is is Ty in here, Mark? Is she in here? She's, okay, well, maybe she can hear me. If she can't, she get the tape. But she, Mark and Ty are in our life group. And we've had several really, really good life groups. And this, this last time, Mark's, uh, I'm sorry, Ty has lost two granddaddies in a year's time. It's tough. And this last time, her papa, he was in the, he was in the hospital and it was looking bad and, you know, we we pretty much knew that he was fixing to pass away and everybody was sitting up there in ICU, they were in the waiting room, basically waiting on the doctor to come in and say, Okay, he's gone. And because she loves us and we love her, our life group was able to go and we couldn't do nothing except for be there for her. We sat and we sat in that waiting room for like an hour and a half, two hours one day. Mark was about to go absolutely stir-crazy. Because his wife was back and forth from the ICU. And he, all he could do was just sit there, he, he helpless. And we came into to the... We come walking up. There was like six or eight of us all at one time come walking up in there. And we were walking down the hall, and we met Mark around the corner. Uh, And he he just lit, I mean, he was just walking through there, and he saw us just lit up because we were there. He knew there was nothing that we could do. He knew there was nothing that we could do other than pray. I don't want to discount prayer. But he knew that we could not do anything physically to save her papa. But we were there. And Ty, Ty, when she saw us, she just broke down. It means so much to me that y'all are here means so much to me that y'all are here. And we were able to be there for them during that hard time and during that situation. I tell you what, when I'm in that situation and I'm walking around the corner with my head hung, man, it sure would be nice to see about 10 or 12 of my closest friends pop up. Can't do nothing but sit in the waiting room and watch the football game with me. Let's just talk about whatever. Just to... Hey, you know, whenever you're on that, when someone's on that verge of death, you really just want that. That's what life group's all about. Let me give you some of the two things about life groups. Number one, the misconception of life groups. These aren't alliterated. I couldn't think of an M word to go with my next one. But anyway, the, the misconceptions of life groups. Why do people not get in life groups? I think it's because of Fear. I think it's because of fear. They think in their head they're like, Well, if I'm gonna get in a life group, that means I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go out there and I'm gonna have to ask somebody for the brochure. People don't like talking to people. And I'm gonna have to ask somebody for the brochure and then I'm gonna have to flip through the brochure and then I'm gonna have to find one that fits my schedule, and so that's going to take time. I'm going to have to actually put some effort into this. Life group takes effort, guys. And then you're going to open it up into it, and you're going to, oh, okay, so I'm going to try to call this person. Now I've got to make a phone call and call somebody who is a perfect stranger that I've never spoke to before in my life and that I don't know from Adam. How many of you like to do that? Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, man, now I've got to call. Then you get on the phone with them, and they're weird, and you're like, no, I am not going to that... One, one in four are weird. One in four is weird. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that means you got to call three more at least by the time. If you get two in a row, well, I would say call my number. But I'm a little bit weird too. But <laughs> thank you, Tina. And uh, anyway, and so then you're thinking now I've got to drive to their house, and this is where the fear really starts to set in because you're thinking I'm going to go through that front door, and they're going to. The whole life group, all 10 of them, are going to be standing there with a big sign that says, Welcome James. You're thinking that in your mind that it's going to be like, everybody's going, to, Hey James, and they're going to ask you a thousand questions. And you're going to have to tell all 10 of them individually where you work and, you know, all that stuff. And you're like, I just don't want to go through that. And then there's going to be this chair that sits right in the middle of the living room. And it's got your name on it, James, right there. And you're going to have to sit in that chair where they're going to come to you and they're going to lay hands on you and they're going to pray for you and they're going to anoint you with oil and you're going to have to confess all your sins to the group. That's not going to happen until the second week. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know what's going to happen in a life group? You're going to meet people that you never thought that you would be as close to as you possibly can. Brother John, Brother John McGovern, one of my best friends in the world. And it's I, he might not think it's as weird as I do, but that we're as close as we are because of our age difference. I mean Brother John is, is a good bit older than me, and is, I, I didn't say how much I didn't say? How much. He don't care. he's proud to be 50. Oh, <laughs> but we're really close and I'm close to out of time my lord I gotta hurry but Brother John's got a shed and he's got stuff in that shed and if I need it guess what I can go get it I don't even have to call him one time I borrowed a drill from his house and I went and got it and I took the drill and then like three weeks later I brought it back and he's like you have my drill and I was like yeah and he's like oh okay no big deal i tell you a good friend When I can go over to Brother John's house, I'm going to what y'all got to eat? (laughs) That's a good friend. (laughs) You ain't going to get that kind of friendship in this big of a crowd. It only comes through life groups. The misconceptions of life groups and the advantage. That was the advantage of life groups. And we're going to move on to the last one. Moving on to the last one. The well of discipleship. The well of discipleship. Why is it so important that we draw from that well? Because it develops maturity. Hebrews 5.13 five thirteen says this for every one that useth milk is is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is for he is as a babe verse fourteen but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern discern both good and evil first corinthians thirteen eleven very popular verse says this When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put it away childish things. All right, now, I have some pictures that I want to show you really quick. Now, these pictures are the 2012 interpretation of these verses right here. All right? Now, we talk about how babies go from milk to meat and how you have that stages that are in between. In the first stage, this is what I call the baby stage. This is the baby stage. Am I standing in the way? This is the baby stage. Can y'all tell what those are? Two hot dogs. What's on them? Nothing. That's the baby stage. How many of y'all got the baby stage? I just want meat and bread. I got one that's 13 years old, still just wants meat and bread. I'm like, come on, boy. Try something. He's a, he eats plain hot dogs and macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, and that's it. But Anyway, he's missing out on so much of life. That ties in. Alright, so this this is the baby stage. And now the next stage is, you know, you've, you've started reading your Bible and you begin to tithe like you're supposed to and you're starting to grow and you might look a little something like this. Hey, little ketchup and mustard, a little stuff added in there. Starting to grow, starting to starting to mature a little bit. But you know what? There's a time in your Christian life that God wants us all to get to where we're matured and we're what God wants us to be And it's going to look something like this. (laughs) Now, (laughs) does anybody know what that is? (laughs) That's a Scott dog. (laughs) In case you don't know what a Scott dog is, I'll give you real quick. A Scott dog is this. A Scott dog is a whole beef frank, grilled (laughs) to perfection. (laughs) with mustard and onions and then a little bit of coleslaw sprinkled across the top. And then we break up bacon. Because as we all know, you can wrap bacon around an old tennis shoe and it'll make it taste good. <laughs> and you put that bacon on top of that hot dog. And then I make this homemade sauce, my Scott dog sauce, and then you warm it up and you ladle it across the top of it. And they're delicious. They're heavenly. We ate them last night. That's where I got the pictures. Brother Scott, you're silly. Yes, I'm silly, but I'm also serious. Because God does not want us to stay in our Christian walk where we are on the day that we got saved. God wants us to become disciples of Christ. He wants us to be followers of Him, to become Christ-like, and to grow in our Christian walk. If you had a baby today, and in two years it was the same weight, same size, and everything as it was on the day, there'd be a problem. If you've been in here, if you're in here and you're saved and you've been saved for a while, and you're still in the same, you're still in the same spiritual condition that you were on the day you got saved, then you got a problem. It's time that we develop our discipleship, Brother John Lawrence. I think Brother Will's is helping him with the, uh, the discipleship program. We got an A to Z discipleship program, and you need to jump in that thing and start learning about the assurance of salvation and baptism and church membership and what all these things mean in the Bible? Why? Because the Bible tells us that all of us need to be ready to give an account for those things that are asked of us. How many of you know that once, as soon as you tell somebody you're a Christian, they're going to go, well, if you're a Christian, what about? Happens all the time. And you know what? You need to be ready to say, this is what about, and give an account. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. If you uh, if if you need to come forth for prayer, if you need anything at all, if you uh, maybe, maybe you're uh, maybe you're a little confused about the message because you ain't never dipped out of the well of salvation.